This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton here live on this day, this Tuesday, as the world commemorates Yom HaShoah, the day of the Holocaust and the day of courage. And I'm going to do a show today that I've never done before. Um, and that is to go actually through my own family's legacy with the Holocaust. So the reason I'm doing this is, first of all, it's been a journey for myself. I have a passion for genealogy to actually find out. There's much more unknown than is known in the family's history. But I've been finding, especially during this time, during coronavirus, people taking a lot of strength from the stories of people who went through challenges. And you see many articles out there, you know, making the caveat that obviously you cannot compare Corona to the Holocaust, which just a simple comparison is mind-boggling. So, like, I'm not even sure why anybody would dare um, even think that there's a remote connection between the two. At the same time, challenge is challenge. And people are finding strength by looking into the stories of people who went through stuff that are much worse than we can imagine. So what I... I felt was appropriate for me to get strength during this time is to look back where I come from because ultimately we underestimate our own tenacity. We underestimate our own courage. We underestimate our own bravery to our own peril because had we really understood how strong we are and how strong and how much we've been through and how we've made it out each and every time, often battered, often beaten, but never destroyed, and how people came on to move and live lives is beyond amazing and is deeply, deeply inspiring. Now, I'll just give some context. I'm in my 30s, so I was born way after the Holocaust, almost 40 years after the Holocaust or a little less. And growing up, the Holocaust was just not something you spoke about, but it was all in front of you. I went to Shul, and we were in a shtibel. I, I grew up in Brooklyn, and we used to dive in a small shtibel. It was actually just called Yankel Shtibel, Yankel Shul. Maybe 20, 25 members right across the street from where I grew up. And in this shul, we had many Polish Jews. We had the Bshmiel, and we had the Bjankel, and we had the Isaac and others, the Belusa, and each one of them, all these Polish Jews, on their arms, they had numbers. Um, many of my friends, their grandparents, growing up where we lived, and they, many of them had numbers. And it was something of a curiosity, it was something that we knew about, but it wasn't something that we discussed. Um, I never really had, as a child, having any of these people coming and sitting down and telling me the story, in the 80s and 90s, they were living, they were vibrant, and only after their passing, they passed away in the early 2000s, many of them, the late 90s, did I start reflecting on the people I grew up with and their incredible strength and tenacity that they went on and made lives for themselves despite unbelievable challenges. But with me when I grew up was, you know, like every person, I have four grandparents, my father's two parents, father and mother, my mother's two parents, 
father and mother, and each of my four grandparents, both from my father's side and my mother's side, suffered deeply during the Holocaust. If not them, then their immediate family, and lost a tremendous amount of family in this stage of life. And today I'm going to focus specifically on one of my ancestors. I am going to reference in short what my other grandparents went through, but specifically one grandparent, my mother's father, and what he went through, although he wasn't a survivor of the camps, but nevertheless um, his life story during that period. But for the beginning, just to give you some context and to realize how how, how close the Holocaust is to so many of us, my name is Aftsan. Till today, I have no idea where that name actually comes from. What is the name Aftsan? What does it mean? Uh, many people have come up with theories. The problem is that my grandfather lost most of his family in the Holocaust, including his own father. So my great-grandfather, his name was Gershon Aftsan. I'm on the Yad Vashem page, which is the Holocaust Memorial website, where they have the names of many of victims. And one of the names over there is Gersh Aftsan, born in Poltava. Ukraine in 1867. He was a tailor and married to Esther. Prior to World War II, he lived in Mirgorod, Ukraine, and Gersh was murdered in the Shoah. According to the document that was put in by one of his grandchildren, but we actually have never traced this grandchild because my grandfather lost contact with all his relatives during the war, and then they were all locked beyond the Iron Curtain, so he wasn't able to keep contact. But according to the testimony by a certain Sima Aftsen, who I actually have no idea who that is, and I've tried to, I've spent many hours trying to figure it out, but I still can't get to it. Um, he died on the side of the road. He um, collapsed while running away and was alone. Interesting, my grandfather, my father's father, his name was Mayor Aftsen. I named a son after him. Um, my grandfather thought that both his grandparents died in the Holocaust. And when he had a family, and my grandfather ended up having a very large family, he had 15 children, can I know her? He named a son for his father and a daughter for his mother. But only in the 1990s, once the, cur the Iron Curtain was taken down, that we managed to make a bit of contact with the family. And my grandfather managed to have a phone call with one of his nieces that he hadn't seen in 70 years, did he discover that his mother actually lived deep into the 60s? She survived the war somehow, and my great-grandmother survived and lived with some of her children and grandchildren in Ukraine and only died in the 60s. My, my grandfather, not knowing that, named a daughter after his own mother while she was still alive. And that, is, for me, the family story is very deeply connected not only to the Holocaust but to the communism because my, all my family from all sides comes from Ukraine and Russia. And they suffer doubly both in the Holocaust and then either before the Holocaust or after the Holocaust they were suffering from communism and the laws against religion. And they're very interconnected. So my first segment of the show, I want to go to a song now. I, I attribute to my incredible great-grandfather, his name was Gershon. And the song I want to play for you, it's called Anima Amin. It's the third song on my track today, and it's a song that, if you listen closely, 
you'll be able to hear a voice that the Johannesburg jury recognizes very well, and that is Chazen Yudi Cohen from Sydney Show. As a young boy, he was a soloist on a choir called Slova Zemmer, my favorite boys' choir growing up. And this is a song recorded sometime in the 80s, where you could hear Chazen Yudi singing Anima Amin, I believe in the coming of Mashiach, how appropriate for today. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. As mentioned earlier, this is Rabbi Levi Avton from Linksfield Shul. And today, in honor of the worldwide Yom HaShoah, people commemorating the Holocaust, I felt that to give some names to the Holocaust, specifically for my family, obviously makes it personal, something we've known for the last 75 years, and that's when we talk of numbers of 6 million, it's very hard to get the head around. So today I'm going to be focusing on names of immediate family. I earlier mentioned my great-grandfather, my father's father's father, and how he passed on, and now my father's mother's family. Her, my mother, my father's mother, her name was Chiena, and I have a sister named after her, and many nieces and cousins. She was born to a couple named Yehuda Leib Karasik and Adela Karasik. Yehuda Leib and Adela Karasik, both their names are on the Yad Vashem list. But let me tell you a little bit about them. My, grandf- my great-grandfather, Yehuda Leib Karasik, was a rabbi already from the, his early 20s. He was very, very close to the fifth Chabad Rebbe and the sixth Chabad Rebbe that were living in Russia, so much so that when the fifth Chabad Rebbe left his hometown during a wartime, um, the sixth Rebbe, the fifth Rebbe's son, gave my great-grandfather the keys to the door of his father's so that my my great-grandfather could go in and take some of the writings inside so to be able to copy it. So he trusted him with that. And he was a very, very strong and courageous individual. When he was 21, he was appointed as the spiritual leader of the Chabad community in Moscow and a fundraiser for the Chabad institutions. And he was he was offered various matches, and finally he was told by his Rebbe, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, to go marry Edla, the daughter of Rabbi Shmar Yahu Rotblat. And he married Edla, and they had, I believe, five children. Three daughters and then a t- a twins, a boy and a girl. During the war, I'm sorry, even before the war, in 1927, my great-grandfather was arrested by the communists for spreading Judaism, and he spent three years in Siberia, suffering just for wanting to be a Jew who practiced his religion. And then he, after three years, he was sent back he tried to then go to Israel, but he wasn't able to leave. The communists didn't let him leave. And for a long time, he had to um, hide from the communists who wanted to arrest him again, the KGB. So he ended up sleeping in a garden outside the house in the freezing in the freezing winter so that if the KGB came to find him at night, they wouldn't find him at home. In 1939, he moved to the city of Leningrad. I don't know if you know much about what happened during the war in the city of Leningrad, but basically there was only one entrance into the city. The Nazis bombed that bridge and laid siege to the town, 
and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people died. Unfortunately, that's where my great-grandmother succumbed from starvation. My, my father's mother's mother in January 1942 passed away, and then she lost her twin children. She lost her two babies. Um, my great-grandfather had his three surviving daughters with him, and they started running. They managed to get out somehow. Uh, it says, through a car that drove on the frozen lake. And they came and they traveled all the way to the Ural Mountains, far off in, in far Russia. But when they came to a city called Kadenker, my grandfather passed away in March 1943, at the age of 43 years old. And the story goes, it's a, a story that actually reached out a few moments before the call, before the show to my to one of my uncles to, um, confirm. He still hasn't gotten back to me, but the, but the, the legend in the family, and I've heard it from quite a few sources, is what happened was my, my grandmother and her two sisters, those three girls, ended up surviving, and they all built beautiful families all across the world. One of them was a Chabad emissary in Morocco, and one of them, my grandmother, lived in Detroit and raised a large family of 15 kids, and the other one raised a family in France. But the story goes that when my grandfather passed away in 1943, <clears throat> next to that city in the middle of nowhere, they the the earth was frozen. It was March 1943, and they had to wait at least to April, if not May, for to be able to dig in the ground and bury him. And my grandmother was extremely determined to make sure that he gets a Jewish burial. And it was impossible to dig, but there was also very there was a tiny Jewish cemetery, and she was scared that she, there won't be enough place to bury her grand, her father so she ended up sleeping in the on a piece of ground that she allocated for a few weeks um, in the freezing cold so that she can save the place i'm not sure if it was for her father in this in this area or what it was for her mother in leningrad but in one of the two places she made sure that they get buried that he gets a jewish burial she um slept there for a month of um, uh, Unfortunately, the consequence was um, very bad health. My grandmother did not have good health. She died early in her 60s, and she lost all her teeth from that episode, so I heard. And they left on my great-grandfather's um, grave, they left a small piece of wood or a sign that here he is. But unfortunately, after the war, when the family came back to find that tree, to find that piece of wood, they didn't find it. So that is my great-grandparents, Rabbi Yehuda Leib and Adela Karasik, my father's mother's parents. Now I'm going to, I'm going to continue with my mother's family. And as I said, I'm going to give the, the majority, that means maybe the last 15, 20 minutes, to my mother's father and his family. But I'm going to first start with my mother's mother. Her name was Friedman. My mother's mother, her name was Nechamalea Friedman. And she passed away right after, uh, in 1997. Passed away in 1997, and I named a girl after her <clears throat> just two and a half months ago when my wife and I were gifted with a baby girl. I named a girl after her. And my grandmother, Nechamalea, a very, very pious woman, grew up in the house of uh, Rabbi Zusha Friedman, and Razel Friedman. Now, 
Zusha Friedman passed away just after my great my grandparents got engaged. That was in 1936. My my grandfather met my grandmother, two religious Jews in a in a country that was almost no religion. They met each other miraculously, and during the engagement, my great grandfather, who was the rabbi of the city of Odessa, passed away. One of the interesting ironies or beauties of history is that years later, one of my first cousins and a grandchild, a great-grandchild of this Rabbi Zusha Friedman, ended up becoming a Chabad emissary in Odessa. And years later, the government gave back the shul that my great-grandfather used to be the rabbi of. It was called the Malbish Arunim shul, the shul that clothes those who, who are naked, basically giving clothes to those who need. That shul was given back, and now my first cousin manages the shul, which my great-grandfather was the rabbi of, in the 1920s and 1930s, just one of those beautiful but heartbreaking twists of history. So my grandfather, my great-grandfather passed away before the war. But what happened was that my grand, my great-grandparents had many children, and many of their children, a son named Avraham, a son named, I believe, David, they were killed by the communists for spreading Judaism in the 1930s. But all their families, that means my mother's first cousins and my mother's aunties, many of them, when it came time that the Nazis were coming into Odessa, the Nazis came into Ukraine, pretty much did a massacre, they, some left, including my grandmother, which I'll talk about in a few moments, but many of my my great aunts and my mother's first cousins um, decided to stay, and they were all butchered, there in um, Ukraine, in in Odessa, and the amount of family members are from from that side is dozens, if not hundreds, um, from my mother's side. Uh, so many relatives, and that connects to my grandfather's story, my mother's father. My mother's father. I'm going to tell you a bit of the story. He actually wrote a autobiography in English. It's called Deep in the Russian Night. And my grandfather only passed away about 15 years ago in his mid-90s, lived a, a long life, had many children, many grandchildren, many, many great-grandchildren, and was blessed enough to see great-great-grandchildren in his lifetime. And he tells a story. Basically, my grandparents, as I said, they got married in 1936, and in 1938, the 1st of July, he's called up to the Russian draft, and he manages to get out um, based on bad health, and he gets released back home to Odessa. Then the German, when Germany broke their pact with Russia in 1941, in June, Stalin announced that all men fit must go to the military, and if not... They'll get the death penalty. My grandfather at that time was um, forced to go together with his brother-in-law, and that is my grandmother's sister, my grandmother's brother. So basically his wife's brother. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Friedman, and my grandfather was Rabbi Aaron Chazan, and together they signed up to the military. And my grandfather was extremely uh, strong-minded individual, so at the beginning they tried him to get to shave his beard, 
and he says, no way, until two people come, two strong soldiers came and um, made a messy cut of his beard, and they thought he would cut the rest, and he didn't. He was a very stubborn uh, fellow, my grandfather, and that allowed him to survive not only World War II, but 20 years under communism after the war. He survived 15 years of communism, 20 years of communism before the war, and then he survived another 20 after the war. He only got out of Russia in 1966. So he was a very strong individual. And on the 26th of July, 1941, they leave Odessa to the Black Sea on three big boats. And one of the boats, the Lenin boat with 3,000 soldiers, was um, bombed by the Germans. And my grandfather and his brother-in-law were on the third, on the, not the boat, the Lenin, but called the Gruzia. And 7,000 soldiers on this boat. My grandpa, my grandfather and his brother-in-law were putting on tefillin and davened piously. Nobody bothered them because believe me, I think everybody was just terrified of surviving and they could use any prayers they could get. And by this time, my grandfather knew that his father my, my grandfather, where he came from, his father's, his father, mother, and siblings lived in a city in Ukraine called Krasnostav. They had been taken over by the Nazis, but my grandfather had no idea what happened to them. But my grandfather made the determination that he must get out of the military. He just, and his issue wasn't so much about being killed, even though he was spared from that. Unfortunately, his brother-in-law, Yakov Friedman passed, uh, was killed in the war. Nobody knows how or where. Interesting, Rabbi Yakov Friedman, my, my great uncle and my grandfather's brother-in-law, his son, Rabbi Yisrael Friedman, lived in Brooklyn, New York, and was the head of the biggest yeshiva in Crown Heights. And he unfortunately passed away two weeks ago from Corona. And he was a young boy when his grandfather disappeared during World War II. And because there was no testimony of what happened to him, his mother was never able to remarry. And she, a, a, a wonderful woman, my great aunt named Gitala, raised three sons alone um, after her son, Rabbi Yaakov, disappeared in World War II. Thank God, as I'll share after the ad break, my grandfather did be able, uh, was able to get out of the military, and thank God I'm here. If you live alone, especially during the next 21 days, okay, we read that live read. Let, let me just go to live read number two, and that is regarding... This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shul, here we are. This is Yom HaShoah on this Tuesday, and I'm sharing personal stories of my family during World War II and the Holocaust. You've been with us. I've spoken about um, all my gra- my grandparents and their families. And in the middle of the story on my grandfather, my mother's father, Aaron, who I named my eldest son after. And basically, he was drafted in the war, as I was saying. He was drafted by Stalin in the war to fight against the Nazis. And it was mainly his fear of kosher food that he decided he has to get out. So he's already been traveled away from Odessa, where he lived with his family. He took a boat all the way out there. And he's in a city called Mariupol. And he goes and decides to walk into a doctor. He goes and finds a physician. It's a Jewish woman about 30 years old. She asks him, what do you have? He says, I have pain in my heart. She looks at with a stethoscope and finds nothing. 
you know, my grandfather was pretty stubborn to get out. So he says, if I'm healthy, then why am I so thin? He says, maybe you have a problem with the lungs. And then I say, yeah, I actually used to suffer from the lungs. Um, and then she looks at me and says, what do you want? Do you want to get healed or do you want to get out of the military? I said, I would really appreciate if they made me at least not exercise very hard. I didn't want to be up front. I want to get out of the military. So she says, okay, then go check, you know, your chest across the street at a pulmonologist. I come in, there's another doctor, a woman about 45 years old. She says, take off your shirt. And um, under my shirt, I'm wearing tzitzit. And the doctor sees it and she says, um, what is that? I say, I'm wearing it to warm my body. She says, no, that's tzitzit. In other words, she was Jewish as well. And I was like, I'm sorry, you're right. It's actually tzitzit. She says, listen, you're breathing totally fine. And everything's okay. I don't see any issue with your lungs. He says, so my grandfather says, but I have an issue with my heart. She says, enough. Then she held me back and she made another test, an MRI or a Rantigan, uh, a, a test. And they're whispering to each other, two doctors, and basically they're both saying, I'm totally fine. And then she calls out to me and she says, wait a moment. I get terrified because I'm scared that she's now going to accuse me of trying to be a traitor and betraying the army. And she writes down a letter uh, on a piece of paper and it says that I have um, an illness. One of the shachetets, uh, I think, chlorea or one of these other typhus. Sorry, she wrote that I have typhus. Anyways, I go to the other doctor. Um, and I, and I, I come back to the military and they say, whoever's not healthy, come back, uh, pick up your hand. And my grandfather picks up his hand and says, look, it says I have typhus. So they say, you're a liar. So what do I have to do? So I have to get tested again by another doctor. And this time what I do is I eat a raw onion and I smoke a few very heavy cigars and I start puking and my, the doctor asked me I go into the doctor they say what's going on and I say listen I'm so sick I can't eat the food it must be typhus etc and they uh, the military was willing to give me a, to be able to go home but they didn't give me the letter that I can go so each day I was running back to find the letter that says I could I'll be able to go home and finally, the day comes that we're, able, we're, start, we're about to leave and go to the front. And my grandfather, my mother's father, asks one final time from his captain, can I go to, this, to the toilet? And he runs, and then he runs to the office to ask if a letter came. And that a letter arrived that morning saying that he gets a week break, a month break, I'm sorry. Literally, had he gone together with my great uncle that morning, and traveled on the boat, chances are my grandfather would never survive and would have been killed together with five million other soldiers um, who passed away um, from the Russian army. Anyways, my grandfather manages to escape, and he decides he's going to run away. He, he was thinking of going back to Odessa, but by this stage he knows that Odessa has been taken over by the Nazis, and he hears that all the people who are running away are running away to the far east of Russia, countries like Kazakhstan. So he takes a, a packed train and he has no idea if my grandmother, his wife, and by that time my grandparents had two children, a son and a daughter. 
the daughter's name was Devira, and the son's name was Zusha. And he had no idea if they managed to escape from Odessa or not. As he's traveling from city to city, he hears rumors that his wife managed to escape and made it over to Kazakhstan, but he has no idea where in Kazakhstan. What had happened was that, as I said earlier in the show, in Odessa, my grandfather and all her family lived there. When the Nazis started bombing Odessa, some people got, people got terrified, and one of them was my great-uncle. And my great-uncle decided to take his mother-in-law, his wife, and my grandmother, his sister-in-law, and travel far. And my grandmother agreed, and they all traveled far. Unfortunately, this great-uncle of mine, Dov, died from starvation very short after, a few months after, somewhere in Kazakhstan. And uh, pretty much uh, like the rest of the family, almost nobody survived. My grandfather comes to Kazakhstan, and he's trying to find the city where... His wife is hiding. He first goes to Tashkent, doesn't find anything, goes to Samarkand, doesn't find anything, and finally he finds out that my grandmother is in a city called Zizak. And I come to Zizak, says my grandfather, and I find my my wife living in subhuman conditions. And unfortunately, I found out the worst news, and that is that my son, Zusha, passed away from typhus. And there was no medicine, and he was living in a cold and damp thing. So my grandfather's oldest son, Zusha, passed away. Unfortunately, they buried him. They weren't able to put up a stone. Until today, we have no idea. This is my uncle, my mother's oldest brother, who died during World War II, a two-year-old boy, an innocent two-year-old boy who died from typhus due to the conditions during World War II, and whose grave is not known. He was named after my great-grandfather, Zusha. And... At the same time, my grandfather finds out that my grandmother had another baby girl. Basically, he left while my grandmother was just in early pregnancy. He might have not even known about it. And he came back months later to discover he had a girl. And thank God that managed a bit to take away the pain of losing his son. And as I share the story, what I hope um, you can take is not only the heartbreak of what we commemorate today, but also the incredible tenacity of these individuals. And I'll just share the final part of the story in just a moment after we get back from the ad break. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. So just before the break, this is Rabbi Levi Avtson. I was sharing the story of my grandfather, and I just want to, I, I never actually spoke about what happened to his family in the Holocaust, and that's where I want to end. For me, like, you know, I've shared many tragic stories over this past hour, but this this story really is... Personally, it gets to me the most. In 1945, my grandfather was still living with my grandmother in Tashkent and in, in Ukraine, sorry, in Kazakhstan. And I suddenly, my grandfather says, I have a dream in 1945. And I have a dream that my mother's standing in front of me and I'm shaking and I turn and I say, what happened to my brother? And my mother says, he was killed. And another dream in 1945, I'm sleeping and in a room and my father and brother are sleeping behind me and I try to talk to them and I can't get a word out of my mouth. And finally, I, I, I asked them what happened there and they said we were tortured to death and I asked when and they said the first day of the month of Elul. By day or by night, by night, my brother says it was still day. 
I wake up shaking. I don't know what to do. Does that mean I have to start keeping yard site on the first day of the month of Elul? And my, I walked over to one of the great rabbis who lived there. It was called the Machnufka Rebbe, who lived next to me. And he says, let's just wait till we find out information. A few months later, my grandfather and grandmother moved from um, Kazakhstan back to Moscow. And they met friends that from nearby towns from where my grandfather lived. And my grandfather says that the stories that he heard hit him like a hammer on the head. The entire Jewish town of Krasnostav was destroyed not on the first day of Elul, like in his dream, but on the sixth day of Elul. And that's 850 people, including a a Jewish family that had converted to Christianity before the war. 850 people, this this is a part of the Holocaust that people don't talk about, they often talk about the concentration camps, but one of the big things that, and it was even part of the second Nuremberg trial, was that they discovered sheets that basically the Nazis created Einstein Gruppen, who would go into Ukraine, and instead of putting people on trains and send them to the gas chambers, they would take town after town, take them to the forest and shoot them. And it's documented at least one million Jews were killed in Ukraine and Russia in this way including my great-grandparents. My great-grandfather was the rabbi of the city of Krasnostav, and on the 6th of Elul, 850 family members, 850 Jewish people, all the Jews from the town, were taken to a pit in, in the nearby forest, and two girls managed to survive, and they were the ones that were able to give my grandfather the report. And they told him that my, gran- my great-grandfather was the rabbi of the city. And just before the Nazis start shooting, my, great- my great-grandfather gets up and gives a very emotional speech to the Jewish people about courage and faith. And he was the first one shot. Together with him was my great-grandmother, my great-aunt, my great-uncles, their- and their spouses, And the entire family. My grandfather ended up being the only survivor of his entire family where in World War II all his family was shot into one pit in Krasnostav, Ukraine, together with 850 holy Jews. And I finish off the show in um, silence and commemoration to all the victims and as much to the people who not only were physically killed, but those who were had to suffer for the rest of their lives, those survivors who went on and built such a beautiful families, despite all their pain. I pay testament to them, together with people all around the world. May their memory be a blessing. May we keep their legacy alive. Amen.